unique yet common sense opinions on sports. This is Jeff Allen Sports Talk. Welcome once again to the show. Coming up, we will talk to WKMG News 6 Sports Director Jamie Say. We will talk about uh, the magic in the playoffs, NBA in the bubble, college football, and more. Jamie is standing by in the virtual green room and will join us in just a few moments. And we will also have a closing TV theme from late night television as well. First things first, do not load the bases against the San Diego Padres because they're going to hit a grand slam home run. We often talk about on this program how in baseball you always continue to see something you've never seen before. And now the Padres become the first team ever to hit a grand slam in four straight games. That's pretty miraculous stuff. So they are definitely lighting up the scoreboard. And, you know, all the experts are, you know, the Dodgers are the team that beat in the National League West. Maybe not so fast. The Padres and the Retro Brown, which I love. They are uh, definitely an exciting team to watch, especially one Fernando Tatis Jr. And he of course, got roasted by the old schoolers or those who believe in the unwritten rules for swinging at a 3-0 pitch to hit a blast home run. I believe that was a grand slam as well. And, you know, seven-run lead in baseball, especially with all the power in the game now, is nothing. I, I can, I've lost count of the number of games I've watched where Big leads have evaporated quickly because bullpens are getting taxed, especially in this uh, shortened season where the starters aren't going that long. Making up seven runs is not as hard as it used to be. So you need to tack on the runs and make sure you win the game. And again, this unwritten rule stuff, just enough about that already. Just enough about that already. And, oh, Tom Brenneman, whoa, boy, that was a brutal story. He, of course, has the, um, doesn't realize his microphone is hot, and hot mics now sometimes catch the true character of people. Now, I'm not going to go overly judgmental on Tom Brenneman here, but he let out a homophobic slur and uh, was pulled mid-game, apologized mid-game, and awkwardly called a home run in the middle of that. Um, Very strange. And... You know, he has since apologized further and says that he is, you know, going to really understand what his words meant and, you know, do the proper diversity thing. He says he's not doing it just to check the box to get his job back. I hope he's sincere about that. And I hope he does, you know, make amends for what he did. Because, again, if you are uttering that kind of stuff on a hot microphone in front of people you work with, you know, how many people have he's, has he insulted if he's done that before? So again, he uh, hopefully will get his act together, but he is uh, done with the Reds for this season and with uh, Fox NFL coverage for at least this season as well. And how about happy 101st birthday to Sister Jean? Yes, of course, the chaplain for men's basketball at Loyola Chicago, they had that great NCAA run that uh, skyrocketed her popularity. And uh, happy birthday to her, 101 years young today. And it is my pleasure to welcome to the program the sports director at WKMG News 6. She is Jamie Say. 
Jamie, thank you so much for being here and taking the time. Jeff, thanks for having me. I look forward to chatting sports with you. Yes, and uh, I do with you as well. And uh, let's start with the Magic and the Milwaukee Bucks in the first round of the NBA playoffs. Magic at the big Somewhat stunning upset in game one. Milwaukee comes back and takes them down in game two. So do you think this is a case of Milwaukee taking the undermanned magic a little lightly? You know, I think so. However, the Bucks up to that point had not been playing great basketball in the bubble. That was kind of one of the stories coming in. I mean, everybody came in expecting the Bucks to go out there and dominate like they dominated the Magic during the regular season. And, you know, with the playoffs starting, they just flip the switch, go, and pound the guys. But the Bucks really hadn't been playing all that well. They hadn't been their dominant selves in the bubble. Plus, you know, they were – they were kind of using the games more to get ready for the playoffs, to shake the rust off and everything like that. Um, you know, but yeah, I think they did underestimate the magic a little bit. And, you know, the magic coaching staff is, is a prepared group. They had a great game plan and this magic team is pretty mature now. I mean, for so long, we talked about the young core, the young core, but now They're veterans, and they had the maturity to learn the game plan, stick to it, and come with the right approach and really give an extra, you know, give give effort every single play of that game one, and it paid off. Um, You know, the Bucs didn't shoot the ball well. Um, Giannis was the guy, and that was it in game one. And then you saw in game two the Bucs – got their three-point specialists doing their thing, and it it was a different story. And then the Magic couldn't shoot straight to start the game, which did not help. (laughs) No, they couldn't. And, you know, I I mean, the Bucs definitely played better defense Mm -hmm. uh, in game two, for sure. You know, they they came out with much more purpose um, than they did in game one. That is for sure. And, uh, you know, they made it more difficult for the Magic. on the perimeter, but the Magic weren't taking bad shots. They had some looks early on, especially in that first quarter when they kept missing and missing and missing. They just weren't connecting. You know, Gary Clark didn't have the game that he had in game one, and um, Evan Fournier still hasn't really found his his rhythm yet, and uh, neither has DJ Augustine from outside. So, yeah, I mean, the only, the only one with any kind of shooter's touch for the Magic in game two is Vooch. And, and he was phenomenal. Yeah, quite a turnaround from last year. So it's, it's remarkable. Well, yeah, absolutely. But this is a different matchup, too. And they, you know, Mooch, Mooch, Mooch came in super motivated because, you know, the Raptors shut him down. However, he never plays well. Or he usually doesn't play well against Marcus Saul, the big man on the Raptors, um, you know, who was the big man on the Grizzlies for so long. So that was a really tough matchup for Vooch last year in the playoffs. I mean, even when the Magic played the Raptors during the bubble, um, you know, in the seeding games in the bubble, Gasol was kind of took Vooch out of the game again. Um, They weren't double teaming Vooch uh, in games one or games two. They do shut down, you know, the low post or the blocks, but Vooch can shoot the ball pretty well when he's – had a good look, and and I think that was the difference. But but yeah, no, he Vooch has been playing well. I don't know if he can keep up thirty points a game, but the Magic need him to if they want to, you know, 
if they want to get another game, if they want to get another two games or three games and really stun everybody and win the series. Yeah, definitely a great improvement by him. So we look at this series. So is it second first, same as the first? Last year, they took the opening game in Toronto and they got swept out. But this year, it's a seven-game series in the first round. There is no home court advantage. Does this provide the Magic some extra opportunities? Yeah, like you say, I mean, it's seven games, no court, home court advantage. And those are the things that the Magic have been talking about. Um, you know, the fact that they're, they don't have to go to Milwaukee and contend with a crowd. And, um, you know, if you look at game one, the Bucks did cut their deficit to three at one point in, uh, in the third quarter. And instead of the crowd going wild, you know, it was silent. Steve Clifford calls a timeout. They design a great play on the out-of-bounds after the timeout. Magic score, and then they score again, and then that Bucks run is shut down. So there's no, there's no juice from the crowd, you know, to add to the adrenaline. So, yeah, you know, there's no travel involved. You know, it's, it's whatever team is solely focused on the game plan and can execute the game plan the best. Um, the talent-wise and depth-wise, the Bucks are better. They have a, an all-world player in Giannis. Um, they've got all-stars. Their, their depth is really, really good um, and really, really strong. And the Magic, obviously, are limping right now. But – Game one proved, you know, if if the Magic can come out and play to that game plan every single play, which is really hard, they've got a shot. But, um, but yeah, I, I mean, I think it is different from last year because the Magic are a more mature team than they were, you know, last year. Last year, none of those guys played in playoffs. I mean, you remember. Yeah. It was just like, you've been here. It's like <laughs> – you know, the, they've had tough season after tough season, and then hooray, they're in the playoffs. And then game two, Kawhi Leonard and company, they just come out and blow them out in Toronto. And I think they really learned from that, that even if you go out and win game one, that team that you're playing, they're good for a reason, and they're going to bring it harder game two. They're going to bring it even harder in game three. And when they're smelling blood in games four or five, maybe six, they're going to bring it even harder. Yeah. So, you know, Orlando became the epicenter of the NBA universe, thanks to the bubble. And I'm a, and I'm a guy who likes to know how the soup is made. So, you know, you look at the situations all around sports, you know, you have uh, games being covered from the studio, you know, play-by-play being done from people's homes even. Right? Yeah. Um, you know, so can you talk to me a little bit about how this has affected how you cover the magic and other sports? Yeah, no, that's a great question. It's interesting because, um, you know, I'm conducting all the media availabilities over Zoom, just like we're doing right now. This is how we connect with the athletes. We're not allowed to get close to them because of COVID. Um, I applied for credentials for myself, my coworker, Ryan Welch, and um, our sports videographer, Nathaniel Rivas, for the Orlando City matches at Disney. Only Nathaniel was approved, our photographer. We were not approved to be allowed in there because they were limiting. Uh, they had such limitations on the number of media that could attend. And I think it was maybe maybe about 10 people and they were all writers. The NBA, it's the same thing. I mean, I applied for credentials to get into the bubble. Denied. Um, because, again, they're only a allowing about 10 to 12 people and they're pretty much writers. So it's almost like I kind of get the feeling you allow one local TV station in, you have to allow them all. And that's when the numbers, 
yeah, big. But the interesting thing is the NBA, one of the requirements is you have to be tested for COVID twice a week on your dime at 140 a pop. So it's like those, you know, if you're not staying in the bubble, if you're not one of the few select media that is in the bubble inside Disney, staying on campus, not going home, which is 550 a night for for those media members, you know, you're paying 280 a week to be able to be tested, be cleared, and then go in. But, but even still, even still, even though I have not attended these games, I've, I haven't been busier. Um, I, I mean, like ever, I mean, just with all the overlap with Orlando City making their run, and then the Magic and the NBA starting, and then with all the different news of college football, trying to figure out, okay, what's the American Conference going to do? You know, how do the decisions that the Big Ten and the Pac-12 um, – influence the schools that we cover florida florida state and ucf and you know they really they really didn't i mean you know i think miami one of miami's games was called off um but like just trying to keep on top of that and now practices started for those teams so we're still trying to keep in touch with that (laughs) usually like right now in august i mean jeff you know our focus is pretty much just on college football we're Mm -hmm. going to ucf practice all the time we're keeping on on top of what the Gators are doing, what the Knolls are doing, what the Hurricanes are doing. But now it's like, okay, you know, Orlando City just had this great run. There's a ton of interest in them. We're covering them. We're covering the Magic at a very weird time. We'll continue to cover the NBA no matter what the Magic do. And then we've here. Got, yeah. yeah, and then we've got um, college football. And I don't know what, you know, the policies for media will be come game time. Um you know, I'm, I'm hearing that UCF will allow, uh, you know, limited numbers of media members, like photographers, videographers, at least in, but we're not sure how it's going to go. And, you know, I'm sure that's, those are decisions and plans that UCF still making since, you know, there's, there's just about a month to go before they kick off. But, but, you know, we've been doing everything virtually like this. It's, it's funny. It's like we, I'd never heard of Zoom until April. <laughs> you know so this is what we do yeah i, I like to say because i actually use zoom for podcast interviews but i like to say i used to i'm using zoom before zoom is cool so well that is great that was great because I, I knew what skype was and facetime and that was it but zoom is just like this godsend that you know allows us to do our jobs um so that's that's been how that's been going but it's been really busy it's hard to keep on top of everything um Daytona had races last weekend. So I actually went to the NASCAR Cup race mm-hmm. last weekend to cover. And that was my first sporting event I've been at since March, since the Arnold Palmer Invitational. And then Daytona's coming back at the end of this month, and I'll go go to the Coke Zero Sugar 400 for that. So Well, it gives you something to break that cabin fever, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. No, it was, it was, yes, it was great. It was a little weird at the same time. It's like, okay, I'm back. And they're, they're you know, I was in a you know, in a situation where there were more people than I had seen in months, you know, because I'm kind of like, I go to work, I go to the grocery store. um, And that's about it. You know, it's like I support local businesses by doing takeout and curbside and all that stuff. But I'm not around a super bunch of people, you know, a ton of people. But you know, at Daytona, there were 1000s of fans there. So it was just like, okay, I had to get used to that. But it was great to be out there and watch some sports. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, 
it's so much fun to go to races at Daytona too. I, um, so it was nice to be back. Yeah. So uh, you brought up, of course, college football and what a catastrophe that is become because you, you have the power five, you know, I figured they were going to try to do a breakaway and they can't even get yeah. that right. Um, and we got things just so fluid and all over the place because there is no really single authority over college football. No. Um, you know, what do you make of all this? <laughs> well, you know, you just kind of look at the brights. Oh, you know, I think you take things day by day. And, you know, um, you know, maybe the Big Ten voted early, you know, voted a little bit too early instead of seeing how things transpired. However, you know, COVID is a big issue on these college campuses. I mean, we can't deny that, you know, Notre Dame has shut down practice because of the outbreak of COVID cases. You know, they've got 12,000 students, uh, you know, enrollment and over 300 of them are positive. So we can't deny that it's an issue and it's going to take some patience to see how college campuses handle the student body and how the football teams can be affected. But, you know, we've seen Notre Dame postpone practice. But, but it is interesting, though. Um, I kind of try and look at the bright side, hold out hope that everybody will be safe. Everybody that's playing this fall, I just hope they get through their season. I hope everybody's safe, players, coaches, staff, and we have a great season. And then I hope – Maybe we get another college football season in the spring and we can watch, you know, Pac-12 and Big Ten and some of the other conferences, some of the other smaller conferences that called it off, see if they can execute a spring season. I think it would be easier to do for the Power Fives because they have a little bit more money, you know, than some of the smaller conferences. The smaller conferences might just decide and say, you know, well, we'll give it a whirl, but the finances aren't there to be able to fund it. But, you know, maybe we have two college football seasons. We won't have a definitive national champion, but this has been a year like no other, and we just have to accept it. I, you know, I just, it, but it is interesting. I mean, it does show a need to have some leadership in college football because the NCAA kind of, you know, washed their hands of it and says, hey, it's up to you guys. We're not providing really anything. We've got some guidelines. Go, go ahead, do what you're going to do. Yeah, and it's being um, run by Power Five hungry commissioners who think of nothing but the almighty dollar. For yeah, them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, you know, I think I was hopeful that if, say, the ACC, you know, the league that decided that they're going to play all conference and one non-conference, I was hoping that, you know, maybe they would at an American conference opponent here and there, but Florida State added an FCS. So mm -hmm. that was a bummer. You know, I was hoping, well, maybe they'll, they'll get USF or UCF on the schedule or something like that, but they didn't. Um, but yeah, I mean, we'll just see how it goes. I just hope everybody's safe. I mean, and, and see how this works. Yeah, I, I am so hoping for a college football season because yeah. I look at UCF and, you know, this is a team that, quote unquote, had a down year, losing three games by a total of seven points. Oh, and, I know. And you yeah. look at this team and how loaded it is, and you think they are definitely primed for a New Year's Six run. Yeah, it's crazy. And now, the, I mean, it'll be interesting to see how the college football playoffs work. Um, whether, you know, the powers that be are just like, okay, it's going to be two SEC teams no matter what, Clemson and Oklahoma. 
Because, you know, like that's probably, you know, will they, will they give, you know, say UCF runs the table. How will they look at their schedule? How will they look at the wins that UCF, you know, had? Um, is it going to be enough to make it there? Or is it going to be like, no, it's going to be Alabama, Georgia, Oklahoma, and Clemson, you know, like the usual suspects. I'm going to say, I've never seen that before. <laughs> I know, right? It's like, you, you know, you can, almost, you can almost script how it might go. Um, well, you know, you're right. I mean, UCF's loaded. I mean, they're loaded. Dylan Gabriel's a year older. Um, I love Trey Nixon, the wide receiver. I think he's he's got the potential for a breakout year. Um, Marlon Williams would be another guy. Marlon Williams. Um, you Otis know, Anderson, and, all these guys, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you lose Adrian Killens, but their running back core is so good. Uh, yeah, and, and their offensive line is solid, too. Um, you know, so – so yeah, no, and and you you might get Bam Moore back, Brandon Moore on defense, mm-hmm. hopefully if he's healthy at some point. Um, and that's a, and that's a good secondary without him. <laughs> that's a great secondary, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you you got Aaron Robinson. I mean, it's funny. It's like uh, we've been kind of waiting for UCF to get back into it. Josh Heupel had his first media availability yesterday. It was all kind of like COVID oriented. So it's like, it's, it's taken me a little bit to really break down how UCF's going to do. Cause I'm still kind of in the NBA mode right now. Um, but you know, once the magic are done, then we can kind of focus in on UCF. So I, you know, it, it feels like you're, you're more in, tune with UCF at this point than I am but yeah I mean I think they're going to have a phenomenal season yeah for, um, for sure for looking, sure. looking forward to that and of course you know recently we saw that McKenzie Milton had a checkup they released a video of him just you know uh, miraculously going side to side hopping on one leg going yeah. backwards um, you know as much as I have said it's such a long shot for him to play again you know he keeps adding a little bit more you know yeah I mean we'll see how this goes I thought something so Josh Heupel had his first media availability yesterday since that since McKenzie's checkup at the Mayo Clinic and obviously Heupel was asked about McKenzie oh how he's doing you know Josh didn't go into too much depth but he was saying you know he continues to make strides um I, you know, he's not, uh, he's not in contact practice or anything like that. He's not taking hits, but he keeps doing more and more. But Heupel said, you know, we'll see how it progresses this season and possibly next year. He said next year. Mm. So like, so what does that mean? Yeah. So is, is McKenzie going to come back for, a, you know, for a sixth year in school? Right. Cause yeah, because he, he's a grad student this year. This would be his fifth year, mm-hmm. right? Um, yeah. And I think yeah, he would end so. up, in, and if he gets this year back, which they're talking about giving everybody yeah. a year back, whether, you know, whether they play or not, yeah. then, you know, he could have two more years. <laughs> yeah, he could have, yeah. So, I mean, we'll see what happens with that, but it's just, it's intriguing. I, I think Dylan Gabriel is the quarterback of the present and the future for this Absolutely. team. Mm-hmm. But... Um, you know, what, what a rush it would be to see McKenzie back on the field. And, and, and when he is on the field, I have no doubt he's going to make plays. He's magical. And, <laughs> yeah, and, and throw touchdown passes and, you know, help the team win in whatever way. Yeah. I, I really do. 
I really although do. I, like it would be ama- how emotional would that be? Yeah. Although I will say, uh, when they ran the replays uh, back on ESPN U Day uh, a couple weeks ago, mm-hmm. I held my breath when he ran. <laughs> yeah. You know. It's yeah. Just, you know, it's on replay. <laughs> it's on replay. You know he's going to be okay, except for that one moment. That um, you know that's that that moment was just. I mean, that was the worst game I've ever seen. It was the mm-hmm. it was the worst sports moment for me. Um, but but you know he was a risk taker. You know, but he's he's just so fast and so instinctual. And you know his his only motivation was get yardage, get yardage, get yardage extend this play mm-hmm. um, and he's just amazing you know I don't know if he does that anymore <laughs> but you know he's got a good arm too you yeah. know he's, he's got such great instincts for the game yeah you gotta love that and uh, I imagine you were probably a very happy uh, fan uh, because Gabe Davis went to the Buffalo Bills that's right <laughs> I, well on that Saturday of draft day you know it was funny because you know, I was surprised Gabe didn't go on Friday. I really was, just yeah, because we, too. right? We know what kind of worker he is. We know what kind of talent he is, and he, his body, you know, he's twenty-one. Um, he's gigantic. You know, he was, he was, he's built for the NFL right now. Um, and it was funny. It was just like, so it's round four, and I'm on Twitter. I've got the draft on, and. And, uh, you know, probably about 15, 20 minutes prior, somebody tweets about, you know, Gabe Davis to the Bills, you know, this could, you know, Bills could be looking at Gabe Davis um, or something like that, or Gabe Davis could be a good fit for the Bills. And it was just kind of a flippant little tweet. And then sure enough, it flashes and there's Gabe Davis going to the Bills at the fourth round. And so I was, I was ecstatic. I was jumping up and down um, because I know what – what kind of playmaker he can be with, with that team. And, and the, I know his attitude, I know how he works and, you know, he'll be the, one of the most committed, if not the most committed rookie in there. So yeah, I'm psyched. I'm psyched. I think the bills are going to be pretty good this year too. Yeah. Well, what do you think? What do you talk about? Talk about the bills for this upcoming season. Well, the bills are winning the AFC East. No question. Um, you know, the Patriots have been eliminated, uh, <laughs> <laughs> not just because Brady's not there anymore. I think Cam Newton has a lot to prove and I think he wants to prove a lot and he is certainly a great talent, but a lot of their veteran guys on defense opted out, you know, they're not playing this year. So, um, no, I think, I think it's all on Josh Allen. Uh, the bills defense is fantastic. Um, they've only had one opt out, uh, yeah, so their defense last year was solid. It's just going to be even better. Um, you add Gabe Davis to the mix. Uh, they've got Stephon Diggs. You know, the receiving core is awesome. Um, Devin Singletary's not a rookie anymore. Um, you know, they drafted uh, another running back. I think is I think he's out of Utah. Um, it's all up to Josh Allen, the quarterback. Uh, he's strong arm except sometimes he tries to do too much and he'll just throw it up there and it'll get intercepted, you know? So it's, it's all about Josh Allen eliminating turnovers. If he can throw the ball to the right guy, you know, I think it's going to be a great team. Plus Josh Allen likes to get out of the pocket and he's, he's a huge guy. He's like, he's, he, he's like Cam Newton, except he doesn't run as much as Cam Newton. Mm-hmm. But you know, when the pro, you know, if it's a broken play, 
whether it's because he messed up or not, he usually makes something happen with his legs. But he's got to hold on to the football, too. So he's prone to fumbles. He's prone to throwing interceptions. But this is year three for the guy, so hopefully this will be a big one. And year three, as Bill Parcells used to say, that's pretty much when you know what kind of guy a guy's going to be in the NFL. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, Josh Allen was thrown into the fire as a rookie. And, uh, you know, they did okay. And last year they won 10 games. And I predicted they would win 10 games last year because I looked at their schedule. Their schedule's a little more difficult this time around. But I will go with I think they'll win 12. I'm going okay. with 12. Okay. And, and – uh, and, yeah. and you feel confident the NFL will have a season? I think they will just because yeah. I've seen the NFL plan things badly and they still end up on the right end of the slate. They have been such incredible luck. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, like the NFL has kind of been a mystery because it was like they never really were super transparent about their safety measures and what they're doing. It's just like, okay, everybody's reporting on this date, this date, this date. And then like the day before, that's when all the health and safety protocols came out. And then you learn, okay, training camp's not starting and actual training camp doesn't start until then. The pads come on then and, you know, no preseason games. I think the play at the beginning of the season is going to be a little rough because there's no preseason games. Um, but yeah, I do think they'll, they'll get it off. Um, if major league baseball is doing it, I think the NFL will do it. You know, these guys are super disciplined. Um, they know what's at stake. The young guys know that if, you know, they do things that they're, they're not supposed to, that they're, that the team. We had a player in Seattle find that out rather quickly, didn't we? Exactly. It's like, you know, they know how short-lived an NFL, a pro football career can be. You know, this is their chance to earn money. um, So they don't want to screw it up. So I think that kind of peer pressure, all that pressure, you know, will keep the guys trying to do the best they can against COVID and, uh, you know, creating their own bubble. You know, you go to work and you go home. You go to work, you go home. Um, So we'll see what happens. But I I think it will work with the NFL because – things just seem to fall into place for that league, like you said. Yeah, and traveling once a week versus, you know, every day right. is a different uh, scenario right. altogether exactly. as well. All right, so before I let you go, uh, you had tweeted recently, the picture of one T. Taylor, cameraman extraordinaire, 50 years? Yeah, Channel 50 six? years. Isn't oh that gosh. crazy? Yeah, I mean, I can't imagine how much he's seen in his 50 years. But yeah, he was a he was a trail he's a trailblazer. Um, you know, he he's the first black uh, videographer at a TV station and I just credit him for staying with our this station for that long. Mm-hmm. You know, he he appreciated the station and the station appreciated him and they know how invaluable he is as as a person, as a coworker, um, greatest guy ever, super friendly, nice to anybody. He's everybody's friend. And, and I will, you know, and I would like to tell you a story about that. Go uh, for it. I want to hear. Know, when I, uh, you know, broke into radio in the 1980s, <clears throat> a long time ago, uh, T of course was, uh, you know, one of the great guys, you know, he, he welcomed the newbies, you know, just like you know, anybody else treated you like he knew you forever and uh, was always grateful. Uh, he was such a good guy. And he also, you know, on occasion and during the 90s, um, when the Magic were making their ascension, 
you know, sometimes he would uh, come to the locker room to get the, uh, get the sound and, and video and he would come by himself. Yes. So, so I was always happy to hold the channel six microphone for Thank him you. and help him out. And he was always good in return to uh, let me get my radio station mic flag in there, which I can show to you here on zoom, oh, which, nice. is, which is rather large for back, from back yeah. then. Yes. Yeah, so nice. He was always good enough to put that in there. Glenn Deemer channel nine hated this thing, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah. T, but T was always uh, so, so great to be around. And, you know, please tell him I said hello. You may not remember me, but... Uh, uh, but uh, He'll appreciate really, it no matter what. I can yeah, tell you that. Yeah, yeah he's no. one of the great guys I admire. Yeah. Um, yeah, we may, maybe someday we'll do a Tuesdays with T, you know. <laughs> talk, uh, you know, he can share his memories. And he's as popular. He might be as popular as some of the people in front of the camera. Oh, I but no. I said more people know who T is and then they know who I am. That's for sure. Well, I that. <laughs> oh yeah. No, 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 no. It's funny. It's like, you know, when I would work with T cause he's been over, uh, he's been over on the news side for the last couple of years. Um, but you know, when I would go someplace with T, Hey T, how you doing T? Hey T, how you doing T? But he would always introduce me. This is my reporter, Jamie say, and yeah, it was great. I mean, he showed me around Daytona, showing me around Arnold Palmer, all that stuff. So I am indebted to him for yeah. sure. Well, that was awesome that you uh, that you did that and gave him that uh, gave him the recognition and love. That was great. Well, fifty years. I mean, that's special. I mean, and I know he's loved more moments than he can count to. You know, he's, yeah. he says he's never had a bad day at work. So yeah, that's cool. well, well, <laughs> well, good on him for that. And Jamie, good on you. Thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. This is a lot of fun. Yeah, definitely. I appreciate you having me on your podcast. I really appreciate joining your show. So keep up the good work. And we'll be back to close out with the TV theme right after this. Five reasons why you should listen to or advertise with Captain and Company in the morning. One, just under four decades of professional broadcasting experience. AM, FM, online. Two, programming music you listened to before you settled down and started a family. Three... Live every weekday morning, just as reliable as your automobile. Four, no spin doctor here. I just can't fix stupid. Five, if you got this far, please go back to reason number one. Weekday mornings right here on your favorite online station. Our primary objective is to keep the groove. I got beach. Oldschool101.com. Forget about it. in the world. It's Late Night with David Letterman. Tonight, the villain from Rocky 3, Mr. T. Actor Ron Howard from Happy Days. A tour of donut shops. And a visit to the Museum of the Hard to Believe. And now, a man who hates the crass commercialization of the 4th of July, David
that the unmistakable theme of Late Night with David Letterman. I loved how Bill Wendell used to do that, bellow that out. David Letterman! Aired from 1982 to 1993 on NBC. It was Letterman after his morning show. Yes, he had a morning show on NBC in 1980. It was was canceled after all the 18 weeks on the air. So David Letterman was still somebody that they highly thought of. Uh, you know, Fred Silverman was the president of NBC at the time, and they heard he was being courted uh, by a syndication company. So NBC gave him a million dollars a year, $20,000 per week, to sit out and guest host a few times on Johnny Carson's Tonight Show. In uh, 80, 1981, NBC and Carson... Uh, they finally had come to an agreement on extending Johnny Carson's contract and uh, gave him the rights to uh, the time slot immediately following the Tonight Show. So in addition to guest hosting the Tonight Show as part of his NBC contract, Letterman also was a guest of Johnny Carson's quite often. And finally, in November 1981, NBC and Carson's production company, as well as Letterman's newly established production company, Space Age Meets Productions, <laughs> which was the forerunner to today's Worldwide Pants Incorporated. He has great corporate names, doesn't he? They announced the creation of Late Night with David Letterman that premiered in early 1982 at 12.30 a.m. Eastern Time, Monday through Thursday, occasional specials every Friday, then eventually it went to five nights a week. And they thought this was a uh, way to capitalize on catering to young men, feeling that there was uh, very little late-night programming for that demographic. And uh, it definitely was a a program that uh, uh, many kids in college uh, were watching, and uh, and many young adults, as myself at the time, if I couldn't watch it, I would record it and watch it back, binge-watch. Didn't know it was binge-watching at the time, but that's what it was. And as well documented, of course, Letterman did not get to succeed Johnny Carson on The Tonight Show, which he had coveted to do. Instead, it went to Jay Leno after Carson retired. So Letterman moved over to CBS to host The Late Show and compete with Leno from 1994 until 2015. His 33 total years hosting Late Night and The Late Show makes him the longest tenured late night host ever, surpassing his mentor and idol, Johnny Carson. And Late Night has continued to evolve over the years. It was Conan O'Brien, Jimmy Fallon, and now currently Seth Meyers. To me, though, the quintessential Letterman was the Late Night NBC days. So, in honor of that, we bring you my top 10 favorite things about Late Night with David Letterman. So, from the home office in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, here is that top 10 list. Wow, we paid for sound effects. Excellent. Number 10, Stupid Petrix. Number 9, Monkey Cam. Number 8, Throwing Cards and Pencils Through the Imaginary Window Behind him on the Set. Number 7, Paul Schaefer and the World's Most Dangerous Band. Number 6, Hal Gurney, the director who had to follow the many escapades of David Letterman when he would leave studio. Biff Henderson, the stagehand who was often a foil. The ultimate foil, Larry Bud Melman, number four. Played by Calvin DeForest, who would go out and do Man on the Street interviews, and he would pull the microphone away from himself asking the question before, so it would be like, so tell me, how is it that you did... Number three, Chris Elliott's. Number two, pissing off Cher, and she calls him an a-hole. And number one, let's get the sound effects back rolling again. 
Terry Gore taking a shower in Dave's office. <laughs> yes, Dave did a whole show from his office, believe it or not. And uh, he taught Terry Gar, who was a frequent guest, into going into the shower, and they closed the show with that. Love Late Night with David Letterman. I wore out a lot of VCR tapes. That's going to do it for this week. Once again, thanks to Jamie Say from WKMG News 6 for talking sports with us. And with that, we are done here. Thanks for listening to Jeff Allen Sports Talk. Follow Jeff on Twitter at JeffAllen underscore 88, on Facebook at JeffAllen88, and the website JeffAllenSportsTalk.com. And you can reach out to the show anytime by email, JeffAllenSportsTalk at gmail.com. Jeff Allen Sports Talk is brought to you exclusively by Kramer's Salve for Dogs. Does your dog itch, suffer from debilitating skin allergies, or trouble hot spots? We have the solution using the healing power of neem. Kramer's Salve is a safe and natural approach to help your best friend live an itch-free life. Go to KramerSalve.net to order today with new low pricing. That's K-R-A-M-E-R-S-A-L-V-E dot net.